Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. It is Saturday, December 23rd, 2023. The IDF and Joe Biden lied to us all. Listen to this extraordinary report from Crystal Ball. Hey guys, so I had a lot of updates I wanted to bring you with regards to Israel and um, go through everything that we have learned just in the past couple of days. So a couple of bombshell investigations from mainstream outlets. The Washington Post now confirming that the IDF lied in their justification of attacking Al-Shifa Hospital. I'll break that very important report down for you. I do not want to lose sight of that because that served as such a pretext for launching attacks on hospitals throughout the Gaza Strip. So we'll break that down for you. We also have a New York Times visual investigation of all of the 2,000-pound bombs that have been dropped on Gaza, including in the area where they explicitly told civilians to evacuate to. We also have uh, multiple examples of just blatant U.S. hypocrisy and an Israeli spokesperson admitting, hey, you know, in spite of all these reports, they're pressuring behind uh, behind the scenes. They're pressuring us behind the scenes. They're not doing that. We're in lockstep. Our, our, so their support for us is completely unshakable. So break that down for you. We also have new revelations about exactly what BB is planning for the day after. And uh, yeah, it's ethnic cleansing. I mean, this is just one additional report adding some context to that, but I really don't want to lose sight of what's going on there. And we have new allegations coming from the UN of war crimes being committed by Israel, in particular, 11 men summarily executed. That is the allegation allegation. So um, before I jump into all of this, I just want to say I really wanted to give Griffin and Mac, our fantastic producers, true time off over the holidays, but I obviously wanted to keep you guys updated as well. So I'm using some new tech to try to be able to put up elements on my own. Bear with me a little bit in case my inner boomer comes out while I'm recording this, but I am definitely doing my best here. So let's start with some of this uh, U.S. hypocrisy on the issue of Palestine. So we had a recent example where Joe Biden, back in October, he was saying, look at this tweet, the United States remains committed to the Palestinian people's right to dignity and to self-determination. The actions of Hamas terrorists don't take that right away. So that was October 24th, not long ago, uh, after October 7th, after Israel launched their all-out assault on the Gaza Strip. And uh, would you look at this? UN General Assembly, well, they just passed a resolution reaffirming the right of the Palestinian people to self-determination. That's exactly what Joe Biden said he remains committed to and that the United States remains committed to. Well, they have a very interesting way of showing it because that vote was 172 in favor, four against, with 10 abstentions. Guess who voted against it? The United States. The four countries that voted against this resolution in favor of the Palestinian people's right to self-determination were Israel, the United States, Micronesia, and Nauru. That's it. Us against the entire world on this one. And uh, I mean, it's just another blatantly astonishing example. It shouldn't, it's not even astonishing at this point of how when U.S. officials up to and including the president will occasionally say something in favor of Palestinian rights, in favor of Palestinian self-determination, in favor of the ability of Palestinian civilians to live and not be starved and bombed to death, um, their actions tell a very, very different story. And that wasn't the only UN resolution that I wanted to take note of because there was a big UN Security Council resolution that's being crafted behind the scenes. 
the U.S. purportedly really wanted to be able to vote for this one, and they worked, they delayed it for, for days. The original language was meant to call for a ceasefire and also to accelerate the amount of aid coming in. This has become an incredibly critical issue because U.N. aid agencies say that more than 500,000 people in the Gaza Strip, so about a quarter of the population, is actually starving now. This puts it beyond even the level of hunger and famine that we've seen in places like Yemen in recent years. So just one additional layer of horror, which is completely unimaginable. So that's why this vote and this aid was so absolutely critical. So the U.S. delays it, they're working behind the scenes, they're watering down the language. And then ultimately, when it came time to vote, let's see what happens here. Well, the U.N. Security Council did pass the resolution on increased Gaza aid delivery. The U.S. abstained on that resolution that it lobbied to weaken over the course of several days. So we did allow it to pass. It's better than vetoing it. But after delaying for days and days and days, watering down the language, we still can't even give this watered down thing that we crafted an affirmative vote let's read some of the details here so we can say they say the u.n security council passed this resolution to boost humanitarian aid following several delays as the u.s lobbied to weaken the language regarding calls for a ceasefire the resolution which calls for steps to create the conditions for a sustainable cessation of hostilities passed on friday with 13 votes in favor none against the u.s and russia both abstained the vote came amid international calls to bring the months-long conflict to an end as Israeli forces pummel Gaza with one of the most destructive campaigns in modern history and humanitarian conditions in the besieged strip reach critical levels. And of course, they're referring to the starvation levels here, the lack of clean water, the lack of functioning hospitals. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Just absolute devastation for literally everyone in the Gaza Strip at this point. More than 90% of Gaza's 2.3 million residents have been displaced and conditions have been described by UN officials as hell on earth. Here's some of the details, like I was saying, of what was happening behind the scenes. Intense negotiations took place over the last week with other member states searching for language that would avoid U.S. objections that have doomed previous resolutions. The original draft called for an urgent and sustainable cessation of hostilities and gave the UN increased control over aid deliveries into Gaza. The adopted resolution opts for less equivocal language on a ceasefire and maintains Israel's control over all aid. The U.S. ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, she said, this was tough, but we got there. You got there? Then why could you still not vote for this incredible, incredibly weak um, resolution that you helped to craft behind the scenes. And if you're starving to death, every day counts. Every day when there isn't increased aid and the fact that it's still going to be controlled by Israel and not by the UN, like these are absolutely vital, critical issues. And we continue to stand on the wrong side. Now, like I said, good that they abstained instead of just an outright veto. I guess that's an improvement. But it exposes the fact that 
all of these reports we've gotten about, oh, Lloyd Austin and oh, Tony Blinken and oh, Jake Sullivan and oh, Joe Biden, they're all, they're having these tough conversations behind the scenes and they're really uncomfortable with the loss of civilian life and with the Israeli approach. And they've told them they've got to change. They told them they've got to be more targeted. They've got to protect civilian life. They've got to wrap this thing up quickly. Oh, really? Because there is no sign based on our public actions that we mean any of that. And we now just had a Netanyahu spokesperson who was interviewed by Sam Stein and asked specifically about, hey, are these conversations happening? Are you feeling any, are you feeling any pressure whatsoever from the United States about your actions? Are there, is there any distance between you and the U.S. at this point on what you're doing in devastating Gaza? And here's what she had to say. I just want to jump back at that question. The administration, the Biden administration, has been more open about its desire to see Israel be more strategic and surgical and spare civilian lives in its operations. Does the Netanyahu government continue to have solid relations with the Biden administration? Do they feel like there's being more pressure put on them by the Biden administration to be more cognizant of those civilian casualties? Well, sour is, is not a word that applies here. You know, um, Secretary Lloyd, Lloyd Austin was just here a few days ago, and, and he reiterated the, that the um, U.S. support to, to Israel's effort here is, is unshakable. And um, Secretary Blinken just spoke a few a few days ago and, and also uh, said, said things in, in, in that nature. Um, we are in lockstep with Washington. Jerusalem and Washington see eye to eye about what, in, in what pertains to uh, the goals of this war unshakable we see eye to eye we are in total lockstep and i mean she's effectively saying like this idea that they're pressuring us behind the scenes or we're facing any pressure whatsoever from the u.s no we're not and whether those conversations are having or not clearly they don't care <laughs> if there's some mild displeasure being expressed because they got everything they need to. I mean, we still hear this language about, you know, there's uh, no red lines. We still see the way the votes are going at the UN and making sure to preserve Israel's uh, control over aid deliveries. We still see absolutely no use of any of our leverage to try to stop the atrocities that are being committed and end the bloodshed here. We still see um, you know, a complete demonization of anyone who even floats or calls for a ceasefire. So, you know, the fact that she is on American television saying, no, Lloyd Austin, you know, Tony Blinken, we're in lockstep, completely unshakable. Well, let's let's raise a question then. Not that you don't already know the answer, but what exactly is that unshakable uh, support? What is that going towards? And, you know, we've had all these fake conversations throughout this war about what exactly is going on, what are their goals, what are they up to, what is the long-term plan. We have this fake conversation. We're still supposed to pretend that they're, quote-unquote, hunting for Hamas, like this is some surgical operation, that they're just looking for Hamas militants, and oops, we just happened to kill tens of thousands of civilians in the meantime, but we really didn't mean to. We really just meant to go for Hamas, which is, there's just no way that you can even look at the civilian death count and maintain that that's what's going on at this point. And as we've covered before, there's multiple reports now about how the real goal, in addition to just total devastation and feeding the desire for like bloodlust and revenge among the Israeli public and Netanyahu trying to hang on to his job, 
But that uh, that report about from 972 Magazine about how, no, the real goal isn't hunting Hamas. It's to create a, quote, shock in the civilian population. That's why you see a level of devastation that is now worse than what we saw in Dresden in terms of northern Gaza. Worse than what we did in the Allied bombings in Dresden, which is like synonymous with horrifying civilian attacks and is one of the many reasons why after World War II, we, uh, we certified things like the Geneva Conventions. So that's one fake conversation that's going on. As I discussed previously, there's a whole fake conversation about the quote-unquote two-state solution and who's in favor and who's been the real roadblock. Bibi made it much harder to hold on to that fantasy that the Israelis have been, you know, just wanting peace this whole time when he comes out publicly and brags about blocking a two-state solution and says, effectively, I'm your guy to make sure there is never a Palestinian state. But we've all also had this fake conversation about the quote, day after, which is, okay, after you're done bombing and starving the hell out of the civilian population, what then? And, you know, you see all these articles about, oh, the U.S. really wants a Palestinian authority and a push for two-state solutions, and the Israelis just won't say, they won't say what they want on the day after. Really? They won't say? Because it seems pretty clear to me that we have every indication of what they actually want on the day after. This is just the latest example of this. What they want is to, quote, thin out the population, as Netanyahu told one of his top aides to come up with ideas for how to accomplish that. In other words, ethnic cleansing. That's what they want. So this is John Hudson. He's with the Washington Post. He says, in private encounters, Netanyahu urged Biden, Rishi Sunak, and Emmanuel Macron to pressure Egyptian President Sisi to take hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from Gaza into the Sinai. They each refused the request, noting Sisi does not want to be complicit in the mass displacement of Gazans. He goes on to say, Israeli officials have continued to grouse to Western counterparts that the Sinai option would solve many of Israel's problems, even as those counterparts have made clear it is a total non-starter. Is it? We'll see. This is one of the many examples where the U.S. and Israeli governments are miles apart when it comes to near and long-term post-war planning. That last part, as I just said, I think you can pretty confidently say is basically bullshit, at least on the near-term planning. There's no indication that the U.S. has any real problems because we've seen no action indicating that they have any real problems. And so I have a lot of skepticism, too, over whether they are really opposed to the long-term plan of um, ethnic cleansing, uh, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians pushing them out into the Sinai Desert. This is, as I mentioned, one of many reports at this point showing that this is the favored outcome of the Israeli government. You know, we had early on this report that was, I think, t I think uh, intentionally leaked and floated as a trial balloon that said, listen, here's some of our options. And the one we prefer the most is exactly what they're saying here, to push everybody out into Egypt or push some hundreds of thousands of people out into Egypt. You see in, I believe it was in that same plan where they talked about, well, the way we'll accomplish this is Egypt's in a lot of debt. So we'll say, hey, some of your debt could be forgiven if you take these people in to try to overcome their objections. We saw reports that there is a plan that has been floated in Washington with some bipartisan support that would leverage the aid dollars we send to Egypt and other regional countries to try to basically force and pressure and blackmail them into taking set numbers of Palestinian refugees. You see reports that Bibi Netanyahu has told one of his top aides to come up with solutions to quote unquote thin out the Gaza population. So again, this is just the latest of 
so many reports, I can hardly keep track of them at this point, that this is the goal. And some of these reports even lay out like how they plan to accomplish it, how they plan to overcome these objections that we are supposedly raising. And basically, when you look at what's happening on the ground and when you listen to their rhetoric, you see what they want to do here is render all of Gaza completely uninhabitable. I mean, Gaza City is already uninhabitable, and that's where more than a million people in the Gazan population were living prior to this. There's nothing to return to there. There's no civil, civic life. The hospitals are bombed. The schools are bombed. The parliament building is bombed. The private homes and residences, the apartment buildings are bombed. I mean, the level of destruction is incomprehensible. They've flooded some of the tunnels with seawater, which further destroys the aquifer, which was, um, you know, already incredibly compromised even before these hostilities. So what they're framing this as is like, oh, well, it's it's the humanitarian solution to ethnically cleanse people and permanently remove them from their homes. Do I think that the U.S. is going to remain adamantly opposed to that if we are even adamantly actually opposed to that in the meantime? I don't have any confidence that that is actually the case. I have zero confidence that is actually the case. Because again, they use this dystopian language, incredibly gaslighting language about how it's actually in their humanitarian interest to permanently remove them from their own homes and push them into surrounding countries forever. So, you know, there's no denying what the Israeli government's goals are for the quote unquote day after. The only question now is whether we are going to enable or facilitate those goals. And so that's why it's incredibly important to keep your eye on all of this that is happening here. Um, at the same time, you know, I don't want to lose sight of the way that we were lied to with regard to the Al-Shifa hospital. You'll recall the IDF and the Israeli government made some extraordinary claims about why Al-Shifa hospital, which was the largest hospital in Gaza. It was really like the beating heart of the uh, Gazan sort of hospital and medical complex. Why this was a legitimate target. We played many times in the show. The computer animation that they had of this Dr. Lair, Dr. Evil style lair beneath the hospital. They said it was Hamas command and control. They indicated they thought there were fighters still down there, that there may be hostages there, that there was this, you know, complex warren of tunnels and rooms and meeting rooms and weaponry, et cetera, that was all beneath this hospital and connected directly to this hospital. Because of course, why does this matter? Well, normally attacking a hospital is a war crime, like cut and dry. There are only really extraordinary circumstances where that is not the case. And so they made this whole elaborate public case. And again, speaking to US support, Joe Biden came out and said, oh, we also have evidence that Al-Shifa is being used in this, you know, by Hamas in this extraordinary way and said it wasn't just the Israelis that had this, that we had our own intel that proved that this was the case. Well, we now have confirmation from the Washington Post that this was all a total pack of lies. Um, this is from this individual, which, by the way, I don't know this person, so I don't want to co-sign everything he's saying here, but he breaks down. I read the whole article, and he breaks this article down very effectively. He says, bombshell, the tunnels were not connected to the Al-Shifa hospital. The Washington Post says the IDF lied. Just take a look at this. This is their big report. They say the case of Al-Shifa investigating the assault on Gaza's largest hospital. And they have in bullets here some of the key uh, findings that their analysis was able to show. They say... 
the rooms connected to the tunnel network discovered by IDF troops showed no immediate evidence of military use by Hamas. None of the five hospital buildings identified by Hagari, that's the IDF spokesperson, appear to be connected to the tunnel network. There is no evidence that the tunnels could be accessed from inside hospital wards. Those are direct rebuttals of IDF lies with regard to what actually was underneath of this Al-Shifa hospital complex. They say that none of the five buildings highlighted by the IDF appear to connect to the tunnels. No evidence has been produced showing that the tunnels could be accessed from inside the hospital wards as Hagari had claimed. This was another piece of the public case they made ahead of time. In addition to the computer simulations, they had this, you know, this graphic images showing the complex, showing which buildings specifically had Hamas capabilities and where the tunnels were. None of that turned out to actually be true. And you also recall the weak evidence that they showed afterwards. They did show one uh, tunnel, you know, and tunnel entrance. They also showed a relatively small cache of weapons, like less than what a uh, adamant Second Amendment supporter in the U.S. might have in their own home. It was like a dozen or so weapons, um, though it was also very questionable whether those weapons were actually there or whether those had been planted. Um, they showed a box of dates as well in their cache of things that they had retrieved. So it was incredibly weak evidence. And based on this new Washington Post report, they also talked to a um, this senior lawyer with Global Rights Compliance, a law firm who has drafted UN reports on siege warfare. And he says, what was the urgency here? This is not yet being demonstrated. I mean, this is the a great understatement. And you know, you'll recall one of the things, the reason why this matters so much is obviously because people died in this raid. Four premature babies ultimately died. They say at least two died on November 11th when the hospital ran out of electricity to power its incubators, and another two died before the um, World Health Organization was able to get in after this raid and be able to rescue them. Several dozen more patients died in the ICU over the following days. So dozens of people were killed here, including four premature babies, babies. And that's that's not even that's not even all of it. In fact, that as horrifying as that is, that may not even be the worst part, because the reason why they went to such lengths to justify and create a public case around this particular hospital is because they used it as a pretext to then attack any hospital they wanted to. And um, you've now had dozens of medical facilities, according to Euromed Monitor, which have been attacked. We just covered on the show another attack of a hospital that was absolutely horrifying, where bulldozers were reportedly, um, you know, uh, rolling over and uh, just horrifying images of dead bodies that these bulldozers were, were rolling over. The hospital system has completely collapsed at this point. And Al-Shifa was really the beginning of that. Al-Shifa was really how they made the case. And then once they laid out that, oh, this is Hamas command and control, then, which turns out, again, to be a complete lie, then when these other hospitals have been attacked, well, there hasn't been much fuss about it, has there? Because, oh, well, the IDF says they have to do it because of, uh, of Hamas, and look at this one tunnel that they found. Well, we now know that was total and complete garbage. It was garbage. So anytime the IDF makes any claim, there is no reason to put any stock in what they say.
because they have been caught in so many lies. And any time this president of the United States makes any claim, whether it's about seeing photos of 40 beheaded babies. Well, we know there were horrors committed on October 7th. We also know that that was a total and complete lie and fabrication. There was one baby which was killed on October 7th. That's horrifying enough. That is enough. But Joe Biden lied about that. And he lied about this. He lied about this. He came out and said, no, it's not just the Israeli intelligence. We have our own intelligence that backs up these extraordinary claims. That was a lie. All right, let's talk about some of the other gaslighting that we've been subjected to um, in terms of this conflict. So as I mentioned, New York Times has quite an extraordinary report about how many times 2,000-pound bombs have been dropped on the Gaza Strip. Um, And critically, they say their visual investigation suggests that Israel routinely dropped this bomb in the area south of Wadi Gaza. That's the place that it had repeatedly told civilians in Gaza to move to for safety. So, of course, you remember the beginning of uh, after October 7th, the beginning of this assault on Gaza. They said, all right, everybody's got to evacuate the north below Wadi Gaza, move to the south. Did that save civilians? Did that protect civilians? No. They continued to drop these 2,000-pound bombs, which... You know, listen, I'm, I'm not a military expert, but I've done my best to, to read and understand what's going on here and what's going on in other conflict zones. The U.S. military, which came in for quite a bit of legitimate criticism for their own operations in Iraq and Afghanistan and the horrific toll that our military took on civilian life, we determined these 2,000-pound bombs are way too big to drop in any sort of an urban combat environment, like, for example, in Mosul. We even felt in Mosul that 500-pound bombs may be too much. And you can see here, he says, when it detonates, it creates a blast wave, these 2,000-pound bombs, that can harm people up to 3,000 feet away. He gives some details here I want to read through, and then I'll show you some of the uh, video from this investigation. He says, sometimes 2,000-pound bombs leave craters in the ground where they strike that are approximately 40 feet in diameter. Leveraging this fact, we trained an object detection AI algorithm to find craters visible in satellite imagery of South Gaza. You can see some of the images here of those craters. This is the algorithm searching for those craters. Um, This, he says, through our final analysis, we were interested in craters roughly about 40 feet in diameter or larger. We use these as well as smaller craters in the training data to make the detector more robust. Later, remove small craters the detector found from our final findings. Once trained, and look at this, look at all of these um, dots on the map, which are where these bombs were dropped. We ran the object detection algorithm on satellite images. We ran three iterations, which produced 1,643 detections in You'll also recall there was another report that the majority of the bombs that have been dropped on Gaza, which have been provided by us, including these 2,000-pound, quote-unquote, bunker buster bombs, which we have continued to provide, have been dumb bombs, so-called dumb bombs, meaning that they are not precisely targeted. So that's what we're talking about here. Let me go ahead and pull up for you the actual investigation that they conducted and we'll listen to a little bit of the beginning of this because you can also see in this report you can see the um just the horror that civilians have been subjected to take a listen 
This is an area in Gaza where for weeks, civilians fled to find safety. These are 2,000 pound bombs. One of the most destructive munitions in Western military arsenals. When a 2,000 pound bomb detonates, it unleashes a blast wave and metal fragments thousands of feet in every direction. Sometimes, 2,000 pound bombs leave giant craters in the earth, like this strike in South Gaza in November. Munitions experts say 2,000-pound bombs are almost never used by the U.S. military anymore in densely populated areas. Israel says it must destroy Hamas above and below ground to prevent terrorist attacks like October 7th and claims it's taking extraordinary measures to protect civilians. But a Times investigation using aerial imagery and artificial intelligence found visual evidence suggesting Israel used these munitions in the area it designated safe for civilians at least 200 times. Our analysis indicates 2,000-pound bombs were dropped on a routine basis in South Gaza during the first six weeks of the war. So there you go. I mean, they told people to flee to this area. We've been told routinely that Israel does everything they can to protect civilian life. Oh, the most moral army on the planet. They tell people where they're going to drop the bomb so they can flee. 2,000 pound bombs dropped hundreds of times in exactly the area where civilians were told to flee. There is no way that they care at I mean you you cannot argue with a straight face at this point that they are, care about protecting civilian life whatsoever in fact as i discussed before multiple reports indicating that actually they want to create a quote shock in the civilian population it is not an accident that more than 10,000 kids have been killed it is not an accident that the civilian death rate the lowest ratio is more than 60%, which is worse than the ratio of Hamas on October 7th committing atrocities. So just more evidence of how there is literally nowhere in Gaza that is safe. And that's, of course, before I even talk about the complete siege, which means that quarter of the population, and this will be the chil children, this will be the elderly, this will be anyone who is vulnerable whatsoever, who starve first. That's where we are, more than half a million people starving in Gaza with our support, the United States of America. And this last piece that I wanted to share with you, we have a new report from the UN about an alleged war crime that was committed um, by the Israelis in this offensive. So this is from the UN Human Rights Office, um, what they describe as unlawful killings in Gaza City. They say that uh, they have received disturbing information alleging that the IDF summarily killed at least 11 unarmed Palestinian men in front of their family members in Al-Ramal neighborhood in Gaza City, which raises alarm about the possible commission of a war crime. They say this comes in the wake of earlier allegations concerning the deliberate targeting and killing of civilians at the hands of Israeli forces. The Israeli authorities must immediately, they say, institute an independent, thorough, and effective investigation. I won't hold my breath on that one. 
the details of the of what they allege are right here they say on December 19, 2023, between 2,000 and 2,300 hours, IDF reportedly surrounded and raided Al Audud building, also known as the Anan building in Al Ramal neighborhood, Gaza City, where three related families were sheltering in addition to Anan family. According to witness accounts circulated by media sources and Euromed Human Rights Monitor, while in control of the building and the civilian sheltering there, the IDF allegedly separated the men from the women and children and then shot and killed at least 11 of the men mostly aged in their late 20s and early 30s in front of their family members the idf then allegedly ordered the women and children into a room and either shot at them or threw a grenade into the room reportedly seriously injuring some of them including an infant and a child so this part is crucial too they say the ohchr has confirmed those killings at that building Although the details and circumstances of the killings are still under verification and the IDF has not released any information on the incident. So they have actually confirmed that these killings did occur. Uh, and the, the question is, did they occur in the manner which people who were there described them as having occurred in? So very serious allegation that 11 men were summarily executed by the IDF in front of their families in what would be just the latest allegations of war crimes being committed by the IDF in the Gaza Strip. And of course, to go circle back to the beginning here in the UN resolutions that, you know, we voted against with our backing, with our dollars, with our diplomatic cover, with our government's support. Well, uh, as always, guys, so grateful for your trust in covering complex and difficult stories like this. Um, and I do hope you're enjoying some, some time with your family. I know I'm going to as well, but I will keep you updated and I will see you guys soon. He cried for help, but it was useless. I go to sleep every night feeling traumatized. They say occupation, trying to hide that it's a genocide. I just wish a kid could grow up to see his mom. I wish that I could do something about bombs dropped on Gaza. Hurts so bad to know. Where do my tax dollars go? Like George Floyd and the kid when he trying to breathe 
he do a rock, but they got a tank. Dead on the floor, he been praying for change. You murder children, no, we not the same. You got my people, they dying in chains. Ain't nobody evil like the IDF. No kidding, it's lost again, I might be next. He got shot, peace, may he rest. I seen it in the videos and photographs. You shoot a kid and you laugh about it. First of all, nobody ever ask about it. Too many bodies to count, simple mathematics. Family's gone and it's so traumatic. His home alone. He was there his whole life. Now everything is gone. He don't got no shoulder to cry on. Not even moms. They done made him homeless. Now he got no one. Family deceased by explosions. Mentally he's got all he sees of those moments. Kent Garrett, it is Saturday, December 23rd.